Though I'm an employee of Ronald Blue Trust, Talking Money represents my individual views and not those of my employer or any sponsor of the program. During the program, I may discuss market trends as well as specific financial planning techniques and investment ideas. These discussions are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations to any individual or organization. Work with your attorney or accounting or investment professional for specific individual advice and services. Any securities or investment products discussed on Talking Money are not insured by the FDIC, are not a deposit or other obligation of or guaranteed by any bank, and are subject to investment risks, including possible loss of principal amount invested. Good morning and welcome to Talking Money, the only live show about money on WGTK The Answer. So we are here live in the studio to take your questions. 877-235-9405 is the phone number. And, of course, you can text a question if you'd like to do that instead. A little bashful, don't want to give a call and get on the air and, and uh, speak to me. Although it's just like we're talking on the phone, it's no real big deal. 877-235-9405. So you can text a question or a call. We had some great questions the last couple of weeks, so I encourage you to continue that and, and send those questions in. If you don't want to even send it during the during the hour that we're on, you can always go to talkingmoneyradio.com. I took a peek at that. I don't, I don't look at that website that often, but I took a peek at it this week and showing somebody where it was who had asked me about it, and I... Noticed and reminded how far back the program goes. We've got recordings going back to 2009 on there and you can search by topic. So uh, I don't think you'd want to necessarily search for a topic about uh, economics back in 2011 or something. That's, that's a little old, but it would be interesting if you want to, and, and I've encouraged people to do this a lot where they're asking me what, what magazine, what kind of a publication should they subscribe to to keep them up to date that's not trying to sell them anything or just that they can get just good, valuable information other than listening to Talking Money, of course. So I would tell them if they're considering a Forbes or Fortune or Money Magazine or some one of those mainline magazines to go back a, a, a year or two and, and find some old issues of it and see what they were saying back then and see how accurate uh, they were. So you can go back to Talking Money do the same thing. So go back to... Oh, eight, what were we telling people just a year and a half or so after we started t- talking money? Uh, what were the kinds of things we were talking about and advising back then versus what are we advising now? And make your own decision on whether or not this is something worth listening to. I know we have some long, long time listeners and I appreciate that and appreciate that, that, um, loyalty to listen. And some people I know that even say they set their alarm so that they make sure that they will listen. So I appreciate that as well. Uh, but we are live call-in shows, so I mean, I'll, every now and then, of course, you'll hear some some recordings or some best of. Pay attention to that at the at the beginning of each break. It'll say you're listening to the best of Talking Money. So if the station's closed for a holiday, like they were a couple of weeks during Christmas, I'm going to pull out some some programs that I think are beneficial that would be useful to listen to again, and we'll play those again. And you'll notice it's uh, some dated. Can't help that unless I re-record something just for that week. But that it's a good way to find some valuable information. Get a second opinion. People oftentimes ask me, "Why well, I want a second opinion. Well, here's a way for you to get one at your own pace, at your own time, uh, at your own computer. Sit down there and listen, your own iPhone, whatever it is. You can go to TalkingMoneyRadio.com and figure that out and listen to whatever topics you want to listen to. 
Uh, today we're going to be talking about investing and talking about the three key attributes that make an investor successful. So before we get to that, though, let's get a quick update. What's been happening lately? For those of you who've been paying attention to the Dow Jones Industrial Average and hitting and, and maintaining, not just hitting and, and coming back from it, but hitting and maintaining a, a new high, we get above that 29,000 mark for the Dow Jones Industrial Average. It finished out at 29,348.10 yesterday, almost a 2% increase for the, for the week, 1.82% increase for the week. The Russell 2000, which is small companies, uh, was up about 2.5% for the week. And the S&P 500, which a lot of people watch because we hear it on the news a lot, it went uh, up about uh, two, uh, almost 2%, just a little higher than the Dow Jones, went up 1.97%. So then we go back for the last quarter and see what's happened. So the Dow Jones for the last quarter up about 8.5%. And then the S&P up about 11%, with small company stocks up 10.23. I always look at that as a good sign. When the small company stocks are, are starting to outperform the big company stocks, especially when they haven't done that for quite a while, it's generally a good, I think, a good forward-looking sign for the economy. That doesn't always mean that, but I think it's always positive to see the small company stocks finally going going ahead of large companies for at least, uh, that's that's a whole quarter, so that's, that's more than just a week. Uh, another thing to keep in, in, uh, in mind and keep your eye on is the Treasury bond. So we always look at the 10-year Treasury bond here on Talking Money to give a good gauge on what's going on with interest rates. And the 10-year Treasury bond has gone up the last quarter to 1.82%. So what that means is you could go and buy a U.S. Treasury and lock in 1.82% for 10 years. Now, I know some money markets are paying not too much under that. So, and you can get that without locking in, but you wouldn't be locked in for 10 years. So if you're thinking, well, interest rates, I think over the next three to five to 10 years are going to go up, then you wouldn't want to lock in a treasury bond. You, you, for 10 years, because you're locked in 1.82%. If you want to get your money out, if interest rates go up and you locked in 1.82 and in a couple of years, the U.S. Treasury 10 year treasuries are yielding two or 220, then, and you need to get your money, then if you want to liquidate that treasure, you're going to actually take a little loss because you're not going to get as much for a 1.82% bond as somebody would for a 2.3% bond. It's just it's not worth as much anymore. So you can lose money even in treasuries if you sell prior to maturity. So if you're looking at like when interest rates got just recently above 2%, up to the two closer to 2.5% range, Said, okay, I could have locked in that two and a half percent. People ask me a lot, what's a, what's a good alternative? What's a, what's a way I can get some decent interest rates and not be exposed to stock market risk and so forth? And oftentimes the, the question comes back to or the opportunity comes up to say, well, what about an annuity? Should I just buy an annuity and lock in that amount of money? Well, keep in mind that with annuity, you've got some risks there as well. And that's not even counting the, the big commission that typically a an agent takes and that that you never see and then you pay them six percent up front and somehow you're still going to make more money than than buying bonds directly yourself instead of through the insurance company you you've got a guaranteed loss in an annuity as well so a treasury bond you don't have a guaranteed loss you only have a a, a loss if you in that ten year in that early before the ten year maturity. You get out, interest rates have gone up. Then, then you're going to take a little hit. You're going to lose some of that. You're going to, you're going to sell at a little loss. 
Um, but an annuity, as long as that surrender charge is there, that's a guaranteed loss. So if that's a, a five-year, three-year, many times it's 10-year surrender charge. If you have a 10-year surrender charge on annuity, then you have a 10-year guaranteed loss. I know people don't look at it like that because they say, well, I'm not going to do anything for the 10 years. Well, if you've invested all of your money, like you weren't going to do anything for 10 years, then then you wouldn't be worried about the dips in the market and dips like that. You don't even worry about it. Invest it. Don't look at it for 10 years and see what happens. I think you'd be generally happier with the one that's not in the annuity because the, the rate of return is more than likely going to be a, a good bit higher. So you got to look at all different kinds of risks that are that are there. But the the things that are happening in the economy now, I mean, some of the positive things, the, the number of Americans who applied for unemployment benefits in early January, that fell for the fifth week in a row. So that's a good sign. Uh, Market Watch uh, detailed that. Uh, U.S. consumer sentiment remained elevated in January. So we got record stock prices that and strong job market that generally uh, helps Americans feel a lot better. That uh, Bloomberg reported that and not Michael, but the Bloomberg, uh, the the news source. Uh, I don't think Michael would be would be talking about all the positive things in the market. That would be something he would not want to talk about right now. U.S. retail sales strengthened in December. So the, apparently there was a late holiday shopping rush. That uh, it was more moderate for the year, but then once the end of the year came up, there was a, a big push, and, and that helped uh, a lot. But keeping things in perspective, so Gary Alexander does a good job of doing this and going back in history. It's nice to have somebody that does this research for you so you don't have to do it yourself. So after the break, we're going to look at what what was the Dow Jones 20 years ago and the dot-com collapse, uh, which was – about 20 years ago, when you look back at, at 2000, it's amazing that it's been that long already. So what kind of numbers, what kind of history have we had with the Dow and where it's breached certain numbers and so forth? We'll talk about that. Then we'll come back to, okay, what we not knowing exactly uh, or even remotely exactly what's going to happen to the markets over the next year, uh, five years, whatever it is. Uh, what are some attributes that make a, an investor successful? And what are some things that you can do to stop from sabotaging your own portfolio? But if you've got a question for me, 877-235-9405. That's a toll-free number, 877-235-9405. We'll be right back with more of Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust has four distinct divisions that work with clients across the wealth spectrum, private wealth, everyday steward, family office, and the professional athlete division. The company's largest division, private wealth, is designed to provide financial guidance for clients with an investable net worth of $1 million or higher. Private wealth advisors can provide advice in many areas, including managing cash flow, growing assets while decreasing debt, overseeing investment portfolios, developing tax-efficient estate and strategic giving plans, and utilizing trust services if needed, all with the big picture in view. The Private Wealth Division has 14 branch offices across the United States, including Greenville. For more information on Ronald Blue Trust branch offices and the advisors serving there, please visit www.ronblue.com. Now back to Talking Money. And we're coming up at about 19 after the hour here on Talking Money. This is Certified Financial Planner Mike Miller, your host for today. Starting our 14th year here on Talking Money, we've had a lot of great conversations over a lot of years. I'd love to have a conversation with you as well. 
877-235-9405. Send me a text if you want to send a question by text or, of course, we'd love to have you call since this is a live call-in program. That's why we love to have people that will call in. So talking before the break uh, about some of the history of the Dow Jones Industrial Average and what has happened and how fast we've gone and how many times maybe we haven't gone as fast as we thought. And and how things look t- today and how it seems like, uh, and, and I was even watching yesterday on um, one of the Fox programs about the, uh, from it was actually a, a Democrat guy who was given his take on the markets and, and the economy and so forth. And uh, talking about how he felt like, yes, yeah, things, things seemed real pricey, don't they though? I mean, the prices of stocks seem real high. And of course, they're higher than they have been, but let's, let's keep in perspective. So Gary Alexander put out a, a blog earlier this week. He talked about on Friday, January 14th, 2000, 20 years ago today. So he put this out on, that would be what, uh, Tuesday, I think is the 14th. The Dow reached its bull market peak of 11,722.98. It did not see that level again until October 3rd, 2006. At 11,727, about six years and nine months later. So if you remember back in January 14, 2000, we just passed Y2K. So that crash, as a matter of fact, I was at dinner on, on Wednesday night with uh, my buddies and their spouses, the Silver Blades that play, uh, the, the old guys that play out of Thornblade, and uh, which I don't get to play very often, but uh, I enjoy it when I do, enjoy to get together with those and the, and the people at our table. We were talking about the uh, the Y2K situation. It came up like, where were you 20 years ago at Y2K? And it was kind of interesting to find out. And the one gentleman was talking about how he was watching the the news or markets and watching uh, what was going on uh, around the world and the time zones that hit Y2K before we did. And he saw that, okay, nothing happened in Japan, nothing happened in Australia, nothing happened, you know, whatever. All these different time zones that it went through, nothing happened. So, of course, by the time it got to the U.S., we didn't expect things to happen here either. We, we figured we were really more prepared than probably a lot of the other countries were prepared. And so nothing happened. And I reminded him that uh, that we took our kids downtown to the Church Street Bridge. So we parked underneath the Church Street Bridge downtown Greenville and walked up the steps to be on the side of the bridge with the kids so that we could, we figured if, if things were going to go out, what a better place to see it than on the bridge at Church Street and you could see all of downtown and then on 12.01 or 12 and one second, everything went dark just all of a sudden. Wouldn't that have been a cool thing to watch? Of course, we were all disappointed. <laughs> well, not really, but disappointed. Nothing happened. I mean, absolutely nothing happened. So it's easy to, to be panicked about something you shouldn't be panicked about. And believe me, I had a lot of, a lot of, uh, consultations with people who weren't clients necessarily. And usually they weren't clients who were panicking about things and going to extremes of buying generators and going out into the, um, off, off away from the downtowns and having farms and getting self-sustained and and maxing out their credit cards to buy MREs and things that they could live off of for some period of time. Uh, and then, of course, nothing happened. And you got all these MREs. What, what are you going to do with them now? I guess you better eat them anyway, uh, even though you don't need to. So he talked about January 14, 2020 years ago, where it hit that 11,727. So he said the dot-com collapse lasted almost three years. So those of us who were investing at that time, 2000 to 2002, it ended to in October 9, 2002. Then the Dow doubled to a new high 
of 14,163 exactly five years later, then October 9th, 2007. Now, you remember what's happened in 2007. We're just a year away from the financial collapse. It would not see those levels again until March 5th, 2013, almost five and a half years later. Since then, the Dow's round numbers have come a little more rapidly. So Dow 15,000 was pierced May 7th, 2013. 20,000 was pierced January 25th, 2017. So that's another, that's 30% increase roughly between 2013 and 2017, almost six years there. Dow 25,000 was penetrated less than a year later on January 4th, 2018. So you went from the 20,000 to 25,000 in just under a year. So next stop, he says Dow 30,000, perhaps by April, then what? So this is before it hit 29,000 in state because you wrote this before it hit this on yesterday when it went up that got 29,000 above. He says during the current bull market, the Dow has shot up from 65.47. And here's where I think it's interesting to keep the perspective. 65.47 on March 9th, 2009. So that was the low point at when the financial crisis hit in 2000, March 2009. Was when it hit its low and everybody was at their, their worst thinking it was not going to go, it was going to go even well below 6547. That's where it stopped to nearly 29,000 now. And now, of course, 29,000 as of the, today to a gain of some 340% plus in nearly 11 years. But if you look at the last 40 year gains, last 20 year gains are not so, so spectacular. So he goes through several time periods. In January 1980, the Dow was 7,858. In January 10, 2000, it was 11,570, 11, which is a 1,247% gain. And the 20 years uh, to January 10, 2020, was 149% gain. So the Dow's gain from 2000 to 2020 is less than 4.7% 4, 7, 4. per year annualized, which isn't very much, he says. So when you take a 20-year period, I and I a few weeks ago was reminding folks, if you look even at the last year's return, but went over, uh, ex- extended yourself over into 2019, uh, 2018, and said, I'm going to start in December or even October of 2018 and take those down months and add that to the returns we had that seemed so spectacular. And we're very good in 2019. It didn't come across as so spectacular, and we didn't feel uh, quite as, as – um, uh, positive as we would if we just took 2019s. The same thing if you take the last 10 years gains, you remember we came from a nearly 50% drop in 2007, 2008, first part of 2009. So we're just making up for a lot of that's just making up for that time. So you've got to keep thing, those kinds of things in perspective to really understand wh- where the current situation is and how high are things. And when you look at even Things like the price earnings ratios, uh, I believe it's over 18 now, but it's still, it's not so much where that is now. It's what are the potentials that these companies could do well and they would be able to catch up to whatever the price earnings ratio is now because many times people that are buying into stocks, uh, oftentimes, you're not buying into it. I hope you're not buying into it just for what that company has done in the past. 
you're looking forward to what that company is going to do in the future and what kind of earnings potential do they have. So you're buying into that earnings potential, so you're willing to pay a little higher price if you feel like the company is going to advance their earnings to the point where it justifies that price and, of course, even above that price that you paid for it. doesn't always happen. That's part of the the excitement, I guess, and the danger with stocks. You just never know what what's going to happen next with a particular stock. So you just um, you keep well diversified. We'll talk about that uh, just a little bit now and, and, of course, after the break. As we talk about these three key attributes that make a um, an investment uh, an investor not an investment make an investment successful. So Kurt Knorr, he was the uh, investment management senior partner in the Ronald Blue Trust National Office in Atlanta. He recently retired just a few weeks ago. Uh, matter of fact, I sent him an email through the Ron Blue part, and he never answered. So I guess he's even cut himself off from the email, so he doesn't have to worry about any more work. He's doing some other private consulting with some companies, I understand. But he was with with uh, Ronald Blue at Ronald Blue Company and Ronald Blue Trust for, for many, many years. Matter of fact, when he was joined the staff, it had 25 people. Now it's over 350 today with uh, over 14 with 14 offices plus other satellite offices that really make 16 but um, the Greenville office was number number 14. So he says he's managed everything from the largest institutional accounts. So these are large accounts because Ronald Blue Trust manages over $10 billion now um, to, uh, for, to portfolios for young families who are just beginning their stewardship journey, he says. And I'm reading a blog that he wrote uh, just about a month ago, December 16, 2019, and we've had, of course, several good weeks then. So he's observed several things that make what he feels like are successful investors. And we're going to talk about that after the break. But I will point out that um, and if you have any questions anytime about talking money or some of the topics that we talk about, of course, you can always uh, reach out to your financial advisor. You want to see how how well the things that we talk about maybe apply to you. But we believe it's very important to work with an advisor who shares your values and your biblical worldview. So if you want more information about that with uh, more information, please call Ronald Blue Trust. We have the Greenville office at 800-588-7526, or you can send an email to greenville at ronblue.com. So I'll mention those numbers again, 800-588-PLAN. This spells out 7526, spells out plan. Or you send an email to greenville at ronblue.com, and we'll be certainly glad to talk to you. But here on Talking Money... And if you want to ask a question today while here live on Talking Money, you could always call the other toll-free number, which is 877-235-9405. It's 877-235-9405. We're talking about the stock market and economy today, but you're welcome to ask a question about any financial topic that's on your mind so we can help it take it off your mind or ease your mind for that. So 877-235-9405. Text or call us. We'll be right back. This is Certified Financial Planner Professional Mike Miller, your host for Talking Money. I am pleased to have Ronald Blue Trust as the sponsor of Talking Money. As a trust company with clients in all 50 states, Ronald Blue Trust can serve as trustee, backup trustee, or even personal representative, what we used to call the executor or executrix. This can be a valuable service, especially if you'd like to pass on your values and not just your valuables to your heirs. Your heirs will probably have one of two perspectives. Either they will say something like, what am I going to inherit? Which is usually the common uh, perspective. 
Or they will ask, what is going to be entrusted to me? What talents will I be responsible to manage? Tim Kimmel, director of Family Matters, said it well. Quote, you can't leave character to your trust account. You can't write your values into the will. You can't bank traits like courage, honesty, and compassion in a safe deposit box. What we need is a plan, a long-term strategy to convey our convictions to the next generation, unquote. Estate and trust planning are about much more than saving taxes or simply making sure your assets get transferred efficiently to your children. You can find out more about Ron Blue Trust at ronblue.com, send an email to greenville at ronblue.com, or call the Greenville office at 864-233-7405 or 1-800-588-PLAN. That's 1-800-588-7526. Now back to Talking Money. And welcome back to Talking Money. We have about 25 minutes left here in today's program. I'd love to have your questions sent to us or by uh, by text at 877-235-9405. Or, of course, you can give us a call at that same number. We'd love to hear from you to answer your questions. We're talking about the markets and, and are, are we um, about to, to peak it or not. I just read some things, uh, some statistics talking about the – Returns really over the past 20 years have not been that spectacular because we've had some big drawdowns in that same time period that have kept us from, if we hadn't had those drawdowns, then we, yeah, we really would be in a euphoric state. We haven't had that, um, because we've had those, that's really tempered the, the way the returns have been over the last 20 years and even the last 10 years. So, Reading this article, this blog written by Kurt Noor, it was he's investment management senior partner before he retired uh, back end of last year with uh, Ronald Blue Trust, the national office in Atlanta, and I've gotten to know Kurt several times and a great guy. He deserves his his uh, his time away, although he's not he's not retiring really. He retired from Ronald Blue Trust, but now he's doing some other consulting work. Uh, but he's managed everything from the largest institutional accounts to young families and everything in between. And so he says he's observed several things about successful investors. Three things he points out in this article, three key attributes. He says, number one, they hold their resources with an open hand. So what does that mean? So if, if somebody realizes that their, that their wealth came from God and that they are just a steward of it, they're not the owner of it. They're just taking care of it. It's it's like, okay, well, it's not fully my responsibility. If I invest it, if I'm a good steward, I invest it. Even at the parable of the talents talks about investing it, not just burying it in the ground, uh, which would be essentially earning no interest or very little interest and not really doing something with it. If you realize, no, I'm supposed to do this because it's, it's uh, not my money. I'm a steward of it. So with this perspective that their wealth was a gift from God and that they were appointed as stewards, they realized that there was no way to foresee what was happening in the markets, nor could they know of what the future held. Most of them saw God restore their wealth in a relatively short period of time. Now he's talking about the three major drawdowns or when the market went down. And he's speaking of the one that happened in 2008, 2009, when the stock indexes dropped by nearly 50%. So if you have the right perspective on that, and of course, being a good steward means you don't have everything in the stock market. So you had enough money that was not in the market that you could let those investments just go because we had no way of knowing. No, your, your investment person, your stockbroker, your financial planner, they, they didn't know. What was going to happen? How long would happen? How far it would go down? Nobody knows that because you don't know what the future 
will hold. And that's where good diversification comes into place. So the, the number two perspective or attribute he calls is maintain a long-term perspective. He says they, there's a pervasive temptation today to check account balances frequently. Boy, and I've seen that, especially with prospective clients, several that have come in over the years, that they usually, one spouse will usually talk about the other spouse, how they're not just looking at things daily. And one, the, the wife was, would have her iPad, iPod with her all the time, checking that iPad for what's the market doing? Like every 15 minutes, every 30 minutes, like, wow, that's enough to give anybody ulcers. And it says, when the market has a particularly good or bad day, it's unfortunate to see how investment accounts perform after clients decide to make a quick, short-term portfolio change. It rarely leads to a good outcome, he says. If an investment account is earmarked for goals more than 10 years in the future, like retirement or college, we have learned that the best course of action is usually no action, which upsets a lot of people. I mean, I've seen it. People say, well, you're the professional. You should know things are about to go down and get my money out. Don't let my my account go down like that. Well, nobody knows that. And if somebody tells you they do, then you're with an advisor who is not honest. That just doesn't happen. No one can know. Now, some people get lucky, and they may hit it right every now and then. And years ago, I mean, more than a couple of decades ago, we actually worked with a timing service at one time, and their their uh, arguments were pretty per, uh, persuasive in saying, "Here's what we've done. Here's how we've get, gotten people out of the markets at certain times." And then we put some money. We didn't put a lot of money with uh, our clients' money there. We put some money there as a as a hedge. Let's let's be safe with this. And and then after that, well, they didn't hit it. They didn't make the same kind of moves that they thought before. So that they that they said they'd done before. So it's you, you may get it right a few times, but that doesn't mean you're going to get it right all the time. So he says it's just unfortunate uh, if it's invested for long term to see people that make those adjustments and that they make them at the wrong time. It just doesn't work out good. Markets markets cycle up and down, he says, on a daily basis for a myriad of reasons, but very few have lasting impacts. And it's important to let the market do its job toward creating long-term returns. And that's important to understand that you're not going to get good long-term returns unless you have some good downturns. It's just That's the way. The, the risk associated with it keeps a lot of people out. And and that's why you invest in it for a long term. So as opposed to thinking, well, I just don't want to invest in the stock market. I want to invest in something safe like an annuity. Well, that should be two different parts of your portfolio. The growth portion should should never be an annuity, in my opinion. Uh, a variable annuity would be the closest you'd come to that. But the expense of that, of that still cause it to not grow as fast as some other investments will. And if you have the exact same investment inside a variable annuity, outside the variable annuity, the one outside the variable annuity is going to make more because it doesn't have the expenses that the variable annuity would bring uh, with it. So he said, he quotes Albert Einstein. He said, Albert Einstein said, quote, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it, earns it. He who doesn't, pays it. All right, so I want to be the one that earns it not the one that pays it to somebody else. That's, that's the way we like that to happen. So his last uh, key attribute to make an, a, an investor successful was, number three, align their portfolio with their investment goals. Most people are putting aside money for retirement through IRAs or 401k plans. They also may have intermediate-term objectives like education funding or starting a business. Some savings have a short-term objectives like an emergency fund, buy a car, next year's big vacation, and so forth. 
That would say savings. That's not, in, he, he doesn't say investments. That's the savings. These buckets of money have very different time horizons and as a result should have very different investment allocations. For example, if retirement is still a long way away, investing in stocks is the usual approach we recommend. And if the money is needed sooner, bonds and cash are more appropriate. But that doesn't mean that when you're at retirement, you get all out of stocks and get all into bonds. So there again, you would start to change that allocation some so that you're going to get more conservative as you get close to that time and you can need the money where a market downturn would certainly adverse affect your lifestyle. Because if you have it all in the stock market in 08 and things go down that much, then what are you going to do? Well, you're going to have to take some money out while the stocks are down. And that's that's not a, a smart move, especially when it lasts for so long. Although I've seen some studies, and, and Michael Kitchens has, has had a study about that, that even if, even if that happens and you draw down money when the market's down, overall you're still going to make more money in the stocks long term because of, of their resilience and how they come back. So – uh, he's, he fends, he, uh, Kurt, uh, ends up the article saying, my wife Nancy and I have applied these principles consistently throughout our lives. For us, they have worked incredibly well, allowing us to spend us as much time as we want seeing grandkids traveling and working with our favorite ministries. These things are my personal definition of success. However, each investor's definition of success is different. And that's important. I think that's a really important point he makes. What is your definition of success? I mean, if your definition of success is is meeting or beating the S&P 500, well, that's a different one than saying, well, I just want to meet these goals. I mean, if all you want to do is say, I want to, I want to match the S&P 500 return, then you should just invest in a, in a index S&P 500. And why, why worry about investing in anything else? Then you know you're going to get that. Now, there are some managers who have, have beat over the longer time period to beat that bogey, but it's harder and harder to do. So it's uh, it's something you need to know what your goals are and, I think, not be so concerned about what the indexes are doing, what the Dow Jones is doing, what the S&P 500 are doing. Just know how am I doing versus my goals because hopefully you're going to be invested more diversified and more conservatively than investing all in just something like large cap value or large cap companies like the S&P 500 or even more so with the Dow. So he finishes the last paragraph. Throughout my years serving clients, I've come to realize that a long, having a long-term perspective, spending less than you bring in each year, having a steward's heart towards wealth, and utilizing a strategy that you're able to stick with can mean the difference between being anxious and being confident around your finances. And that was an important point he brought up last, utilizing a strategy that you're able to stick with. So you want to have the allocation that you're able to stick with. If that means taking part of your portfolio and putting, uh, like we did with a client once a number of years ago, where they had a, about a million three, and we told them based on our conversation, look, we think you ought to take $200,000 of this and put it in a CD. Now, at that time, the CDs were making more money, but still the concept is the same. Take $200,000 and put it into a CD. You know there's no risk of, of downturn there. There's a risk of loss of purchasing power, but we're going to invest the other million one to help make up for that so that you will feel comfortable that not taking out the part in, that's invested long term because you have this other money that you know you can get to no matter what happens with that long term type investment. I think it's important to, in your, in your mind, keep those buckets so you can divide it separately, and, and Ronald Blue Trust actually does, as as Kurt talks about, they do divide it into buckets. And so our plan first old portfolios would have had similar um, 
designed to it, but they wouldn't necessarily have been put in separate buckets, which I think helps helps a client to understand and see what is what is going up, what's going down, and so you realize the whole the whole part. You, you might see your account statement, everything gone has gone down in a, a market downturn. But if you look under the cover, you say, oh, not everything went down. Some of these things actually went up or stayed the same or didn't go down near as much as the stock market. And that helps you feel, I think, a little more comfortable. But if you have any questions uh, or like to learn more about the topics that we covered on the program today, of course, reach out to your financial advisor. Uh, we do believe, though, it's very important to work with an advisor who shares your values and your biblical worldview. So for more information, please call Ronald Blue Trust Greenville office. We're at 800-588-7526, 800-588-7526. Or you can email uh, the office at greenville at ronblue.com. When we get back from the break, we'll talk about how to stop sabotaging your portfolio. Richard Thaler, professor of behavioral science and economics at the University of Chicago, has some interesting thoughts that we'll share with you when you get back. But, of course, if you have a question for me here, it's your last chance to get it in, 877-235-9405. Text or call us. We'll be right back. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust is a company with a vision to see individuals and families practicing biblical stewardship and experiencing freedom from economic fear, bondage, and conflict. They want their clients and their families to enjoy debt-free living, free to answer the call to ministry or whatever their passion is, feeling at peace with their investments and the way they are being professionally managed to help accomplish their financial objectives so they can focus on other aspects of their lives and help clients make wise financial decisions, live generously, and leave a lasting legacy. As a trust company, Ronald Blue Trust Advisors come alongside the next generation to help transfer your values and help you leave your lasting legacy. If you're a business owner, the Business Consulting Division can help you define your company's culture and, very importantly, then help convey that culture to the next generation of leaders in your company. Find out more about Ronald Blue Trust at ronblue.com, send an email to greenville at ronblue.com, or call the Greenville office at 864-233-7405 or 1-800-588-7526. That's 1-800-588-7526. Now back to Talking Money. We've got about 10 minutes, 9 minutes now left in Talking Money. This is Certified Financial Planner Mike Miller. We're glad you're with us today. So if you want to learn more information about some other financial topic that we didn't cover today or uh, one that you'd like to learn about, talk TalkingMoneyRadio.com is the website you need to go to. That uh, You'll see my ugly mug, and then you can go down there and, and do a search for different topics. I've got some blogs written on there. It's time for me to write another one but uh, or two, but you can get more information about that. You can also ask Mike a question on that website so that you can get that question to me this week, and we can talk about it next week. Next week, uh, I do have a special guest with me, so we'll be talking about the SECURE Act so some of you have heard about that. Some of you maybe have not. There's some, some big changes that have happened in IRAs and distributions. Some are positive. Some are not so positive. So we'll talk about the pros and cons of those and also give some planning ideas on how you can take advantage of it or how to make sure that it doesn't take advantage of you as much as it might if you didn't do anything. So Alan Cox, CPA with um, the Ronald Blue Trust office in Atlanta. He and his wife are coming up for the weekend and, and are going to enjoy our city. As well as, and I've, I've had, you know, people coming in to, to bring money to Greenville. So that's good too. 
Uh, but he'll be visiting with me in the studio next week. Uh, so be sure to stay tuned so you can learn more about the Secure Act because it affects almost everybody uh, in how distributions are going to be um, taxed and how they're required to be done from now. So the rest of our time together, we talk about um, an article that was in Barron's, uh, the weekly magazine, that uh, was uh, January 6th issue a couple weeks ago. And it was the title was it How to Stop Sabotaging Your Portfolio. So it was an interview with Nobel winner Richard Thaler. He's a professor of behavioral science and economics at University of Chicago and also helps start a firm called Fuller and Thaler um, and have several mutual funds. So is asking him, he's the 2017 Nobel laureate uh, who popularized the notion that people's biases and impulses are profoundly relevant to the study of economics. And this is an article written by Leslie Norton, by the way, in this Barron's issue. So he's better known, they say, for, uh, for his notable cameo in The Big Short. I never saw this big short. It's the film adaptation of the Michael Lewis book that documents the financial crisis in which Thaler teams up with pop star Selena Gomez to explain, get this, the synthetic collateralized debt obligations. Well, wouldn't you like to watch a movie that did that? <laughs> I'm sure that's got to be exciting. Um, the CBOs, I think a lot of times those are called. Anyway, the um, so he talks about several things that he thinks are, are mistakes and how people make these mistakes in their portfolio. We'll see if you're doing these things. So he says... Uh, he views, if Thaler expanded on what he views as investors, common mistakes, overconfidences, and nudging. So Barron's asks him, it's the new year, what behavioral errors should people watch out for? So he talks about his company, they pay bonuses, and they'll ask the employees or tell them, you haven't maxed out your 401k. Would you like to take some of your bonus and top it out? So he says, anybody who isn't at least maxing out the match is throwing away money. Most people are under saving, he says. So that's important, and we've said this many times before on talking money. So is making sure, of course, if you're already retired and you're living off your 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 savings, that's not doesn't apply to you. But there hopefully are a lot of people listening that have not gotten there. They're really under saving. So he says we know that the best way to reduce biases is just to make decisions automatic. Investors are less stupid. <laughs> His words, if they're in a target date fund that prevents them from panicking when the market goes down. So target date fund is one that's a kind of a fund of funds inside a 401k that says you're going to retire at in 20 years. So let's use the target date fund that says uh, I'm going to take the 2040 fund. I'm going to buy that one because I'm going to retire in 20 years. Investors, he said, um, uh, and they do better in 401ks if we automatically enroll them, he says. And then automatically escalate them up to some sensible savings rate. So most people, it's like a bill. Uh, when you're, when you're having a, a, an expense, something you have to pay each month. Well, you pay it each month. You pay your power bill. You pay your, your home mortgage, whatever it is. Well, if you look at your 401k payment as the same way, you forces you to do it. And, and, and I would agree that that would make you a better, um, long-term chance of, of being f- uh, financially independent. So he says, uh, the next question was, what are some other errors that investors make? And here's where I've been advertising this this week in the promos, the biggest mistake people make. So he says the biggest mistake people make in life is overconfidence. In investing, unless people are explicitly investing to manage for taxes, which we know they typically get wrong, 
it's not clear they have any business buying and selling individual securities. And he talks about how most active managers don't do it. With all this, all the information they have, they don't do it very well. What makes you think you can do it very well? Although I will reiterate, I mean, the, the way to make money, a lot of money, is to buy just a couple of stocks and have them do really well. And the way, the way to lose a lot of money is to buy a couple of individual stocks and have them do really, really poorly. So that's where diversification comes in. You can't look at what somebody else has done. And, oh, I bought this, this stock, uh, whatever it is, at, at a really good time. And he talks even about a student he had that invested in Apple, I think it was, or Amazon back uh, when he was teaching. And before Amazon even had was making any money. And he said, well, this is not smart. But the guy, he, he made it. So we'll, we may have time to go over that in just a second. But he says, my own personal conjecture is that the rise of individual investing in the 1990s, which contributed to the tech bubble, was caused by the illusion of information. Everybody had Yahoo Finance or whatever. And people felt that they were better at figuring things out than other people and that the information was private to them. When the market was going up 30% a year, it was very easy to convince yourself that you're a good investor. I think picking individual stocks for your own account is a fool's errand. I don't do it. I give the money to people at our firm who know how to do it and to do it for a living. So he says his overconfidence, so they ask him, is overconfidence a particular risk now? So he says, if you're asking me any questions about what's going to happen going forward, I'm going to say, I don't know. Smart answer, because nobody does. The amount of yawning by the markets is the thing that I find most surprising. So things, all the things that seem to be negative, but the market's just going up anyway. Is the market's changing structure, big gains in the largest companies, endless flows into passive funds, like, like index funds, a form of overconfidence? He says, well, he thinks it's a contributing factor. He thinks, says things happen twice a week now that might have caused a 500-point move in the past. Maybe it's like when you have a loud restaurant, eventually you get used to it. I think no one should be particularly confident. All right, so got about two minutes here. What investor to do? Put everything in the bank? He says, I put my money in the stock market. I was on a morning show once. This is funny. I was on a morning show once, and someone asked me what my advice would be the next time there's a market turmoil. I said, well, it would be to switch off this network and leave things alone. <laughs> I was not invited back, he says. <laughs> so I'm not surprised. Sometimes the, the, the people who are most consistent in their answers, just don't invite to these shows because they want somebody that's going to you know, be more dynamic, be more exciting about things. So how do you view the strong fund flows into bond funds and out of equity funds? He says, I'm not worried about that we'll have a crash. I'm just puzzled. A lot of things are happening that my macroeconomics friends assured me all my life couldn't happen, like negative interest rates. So then he says, uh, talks about value and growth and so forth. So it's just, it's, we've got just a minute left, so time to stop. But there's a lot of things that people do that they shouldn't be doing. And one of the best ways to improve your financial independence is, is usually to ignore the phone forecast. Everybody likes to hear a forecast. Everybody likes to hear what's going to happen next. Uh, who's going to win the Clemson LSU football game? Well, if you're a Clemson fan, you want to hear that LSU is, is going to get trounced. And all the way around, if you're an LSU fan, same thing with the stock markets. You're in the stock. I want to hear that it's going to go well. Uh, but that doesn't make it going to be right. <laughs> it doesn't mean that's going to happen. So well-diversified portfolio is is the, the way to go, I think, all the time. Well, thanks for listening to Talking Money today. I've enjoyed having you next week with Alan Cox talking about the SECURE Act. Hope you join us. Have a great weekend.